This week we cover indies A through Z on our way to explore an unknown world, but ironically, not soulless for this project. Will we keep our minds intact if we come across Cthulhu's realm while we're there? Then again, this could all be a fever dream while we're camping in the woods like freaky little scouts. This and more to come on this episode of Indie Game Riot. What number? What number? 96! Shit! 96! You can do it in the beginning. It's episode 96. Fuck it, we're going. Everybody, this is Josh, and we are here on episode 96 of the Indie Game Riot podcast. And of course, I am with Chuck Carter down there, and oh crap, Calvin. Calvin. Yeah, I forget the last <laughs> name. I was Calvin uh, Moisen. Yeah, that's that's right. There we Good go. Job. Uh, <laughs> it's all that. And I was like, I don't want to sound. I like can't pronounce name. his name. So, all right, Calvin <laughs> okay. Moisen. It's French. Uh, no one can pronounce it. They're from uh, Ear Games, who are creating a game called Zed. It's currently on Kickstarter. And we'll talk about it later um, in an interview with them. And so stick uh, around. So stick around for that. I'm also here with Rev next to me and Tech next to him. No one Hello. cares about them. So we're going to yeah. talk about our weeks. Uh, Calvin, you go first. Yeah, I sure. Where did you week been? Well, my week's been pretty good. Um, you know, the weather here's you can't complain about the weather here lately. It's It's been pretty nice. Um, we've been busy working on the Kickstarter, trying to come up with new creative ways to get people excited about the game. Um, been working my day job, you know, doing the daily grind, day job learning, more about, le- learning more about the, un- the engine in my spare time when I have it, whatever that is. So you're, you're the... <laughs> You're not to go into like too much interview material, but you're the Unreal Guru, right? Yes, for the team. Gotcha. All right. And Chuck, how about your week? My week. My week has been uh, pretty much trying to fill um, my days with anything that has really has to do with the Kickstarter, trying to get in touch with as many people as I can, try to promote it, try to do artwork that we can use, uh, stuff that's being made for the game that we can post up online. So I'm thinking ahead a little bit further. Uh, on the game and doing a lot of modeling and doing assets and stuff like that. But uh, Kickstarter has pretty much been the bulk of it. Um, also, I've been having to do some uh, illustration work in order to you know, keep the company afloat financially. So uh, that's taken up a part of my week as well. So my typical day is about starts about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning and goes on to about 1 or 2 in the morning. So, And that's you know, your, your, your uh, bread and butter work that supports the uh, indie game addiction. That's that just happens to be NASA. So I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> damn NASA. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just crap. So it's like NASA, McDonald's. You know, what are you gonna do for your daily job? You know, I, I don't know. I, I tried McDonald's for a little while, but I got tired of drawing rocket ships on the, on the French fry bags and <laughs> yeah. the grease kids I, getting so away. I, I work at I work at a pizza place, and I can't draw at all. So every once in a while, someone is just like, draw a dinosaur, and I'm like. Okay, you asked for it, but it's going to look like a ghost. <laughs> but hey, you know, I have to say a little story. My my my, uh, where I got my start in my career, I worked at a shipping uh, at an art supply store in a shipping department, 
And uh, this is like, God, I'm in a hike how many years ago now, but uh, I was shipping boxes of art supplies to a couple of newspapers in Cleveland. And I used to draw all this stuff, uh, these cartoons on the sides and then ship them off. And then one day I get a call from one of the newspapers and ask me if I wanted a job. Wow. So that's how I got my first job in art by drawing on shipping boxes for so. <laughs> nice. long dead Cleveland press. Pro so. pro tip pro tip for you aspiring artists out there. Just draw on everyone's property. <laughs> draw on anything. And yeah. People notice it. You know? uh, well, uh, how about you, Tom? Uh, how about you? Uh, me, I, uh, I know, the only interesting thing that I did was a few days ago, Jesse and I built a forge. What? Okay. For, yeah. For, for so the like, purpose of for the purpose of melting down metal. Well, okay, I got what, that. Yeah. What, <laughs> what are you gonna do with the melted metal? Uh, we're probably gonna turn it. Uh, Jesse's really into jewelry making, so we're gonna. She's gonna start like carving and casting a bunch of like jewelry and necklaces and rings and stuff. Ooh, you gonna so, go to, like crafts fair and sell them and stuff? Maybe we'll Etsy. Etsy, yeah. We, you know, she she's selling all this stuff. Um. She has a bunch of antiques that she wasn't that that like her mom had and they didn't have room for it when they moved. And so she's been like selling them on on Etsy and people on that site buy everything (laughs) and anything. It's like the (laughs) iTunes of craft goods. This turd looks like this turd's like in the perfect shape of a Dairy Dairy Queen cone. Hundred dollars. What? Yeah. Something like anything. Cast of it. Make a pewter version of it. You know, there you go. You can polish it and sell it. So Rev, uh, how about uh, uh you, you I, let everybody on to what you were doing? I I, I worked a lot. I almost didn't make tonight. Uh, it was a a close call as I was uh, walking out the door. Um, I had a, a bit of an emergency crop up that caused me to leave work early. Um, and then uh, as I was walking out the door, I got contacted by one of my clients saying, "Hey, uh, my my." storage arrays have decided to shit themselves so uh, I am taking a break from trying to recover that and rebuild the firmware on the controllers for that and uh, I'll be returning to that afterwards other than that I've done nothing I've slept (laughs) I've almost watched a complete episode of West Wing I'm I'm on the, the the season two finale, which everybody tells me is the greatest episode, and by the time I have time to sit down and actually watch it, I'm already falling asleep. So I'm gonna have to restart that as well. But uh, <laughs> that's my week. How about you, Josh? Uh, IRX, IRX, and IRX, man. That's more IRX. That's always the story. Uh, although I've, I've gotten a little bit of a reprieve now. Well, not really, but. Um, now that registration is ending tonight in two hours, um, that, oh. yeah, two hours, anyone who's listening. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's that, but then goes like, that goes into like scheduling and, uh, setting up meetings and emailing everyone who's involved. So, you know, there's still work to do. Um, I was actually pretty busy today. We were out most of the day too. So I was, uh, pretty tired from that actually, but, uh, you know, had a root beer, had a root beer float when I got home. Cool. That's my I life. Had one of those for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's very wholesome. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it's like a, a good old, what is a early nineties family sitcom moment where we all just yeah. sat down and had, had root beer, root beer floats. Anyway. I used to live in Utah. They have lots of root beer floats in Utah. Yeah. Is that a thing? Social. Is, the, is it? Utah. No, it is because you can't drink in Utah. Well, now it's gotten slightly better, but yeah, you can drink. Utah. You, they have wineries and things like that. You know, it's, it's, got, 
What, what part of Utah were you in? I lived in St. George for a long time, which is the very southernmost part yeah. of it, and uh, in Salt Lake in Park okay. City. So. I, used to, I used to live in Eagle Mountain and Salt Lake and Orem and Provo. So. Okay, you're familiar then. Is Utah's, yep. Utah's slogan is, uh, root beer floats, the only thing we have more <laughs> of than wives. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well played. Uh, well, with that, uh, with that, on that note, we're going yeah. to uh, give I, ourselves an indie news injection. That was a boring segue, but yeah, indie, but, news, inje- <laughs> indie news injection. <laughs> Are you bored with the same old games? Yeah. Why then, give yourself an indie news injection? Thanks, indie games. This week on indie news injection. You know what's coming, and it's the final. It's Iron Rex. It's well, it's not the final one because it's it's. I'm still going to remind everyone that's happening, but yeah, it's IRX or it's IRX, as Rev said. Um, Indie Revolution Expo today is actually today at the time of this recording is actually the last day for registration. So if you're catching the recorded version, too too bad for you. I don't know what to tell you about that, but uh, you can still go to IRX Indie Revolution Expo July 15th through the 17th. Be there in a chat, connect with all the devs, have some fun, and check out all the amazing indie games. I believe uh, Chuck will will be there as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, Indie Revolution Expo, go check it out. Next thing I have to uh, announce when it comes to, because, you know, Indie Game Riot stuff is, of course, news is important. (laughs) For some reason. (laughs) I have nowhere else to put it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Except for up your ass. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> Out of uh, all of us, Rev, you know. Uh, yeah, that's the wrong one. Uh, 1,000 followers on Twitter. We have eclipsed oh, that. So I just wanted to, I wanted to say that so I could say thank you to uh, to everyone who is following us on Twitter and supporting us. And uh, in, in turn, we hope to support you on Twitter and on the show. So thank you for that. Definitely. You know uh, what else you can support? What? You can support. If that? you do not have a computer that can run Stardew Valley. <laughs> it's a you horrible. can play it. You can play it soon on your console, your Xbox One, your PS4, and your Wii U. Yes, Stardew Valley is coming to consoles for all you people who don't own computers and just use your phones. I guess that's a thing now. Weirdly is it? enough, yeah, that is. I mean, no one, li- no one listening to this, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> still Stardew waiting Valley's on coming to consoles. Still waiting on multiplayer concern, Dave. On. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, actually, I think I'm, I think they outsourced the uh, console ports to another company, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I they're working with Chucklefish and Sickhead Games Sickhead. to get the console version. What yeah. What really surprises me is that the Mac and the Linux versions don't have a release date yet, and they're just like we're working on them, and you know they're, they're working on too. the 1.1 update. There's like everything's in the works, but to we be won't fair, with the fire game. Exactly. I was going to say, to be fair, the, the audience participation that is Mac gamers and Linux gamers is kind of smaller than Xbox and PS4. and True. Wii. Oh, my God. But if once there's a Linux version, you can totally just buy a, a Raspberry Pi 3 and, and just take it anywhere with you and just play yeah, starting right. out so... wherever you want. I'll do that. Or just walk around with a Raspberry Pi and a monitor and a keyboard <laughs> and just like Such a strap hit. it all to yourself. Controller, and... you know. Why don't you, why don't you just walk? Do you want to play Stardew Valley on me? Well, that'd be a great idea. You why? could have human demos. Yeah. Walking around the convention cool. centers. Conve- oh, that's wow. that's actually not a bad marketing that. ploy, yeah. 
you joke like, about that. I, I saw it happen at IndieCade this past fall. Did you? Um, yeah, the, the guy had it built out to a tablet, and it was set up with a little arcade stick on, a, on the arcade costume that he was wearing. And he wow. was just kind of like, hey, you want to play my game real quick? And it was what? just it was kind of entertaining. Game? I don't, but I've got pictures oh. of it somewhere. Isn't that the point? I've got pictures of all that. Stuff. What do you? What do you? What do you? What do I pay you for, Rev? You don't pay me. Just to put that in perspective, and I my, go to indicate my my appreciation isn't. <laughs> I still have all. I still have all of the footage of everything, plus all of the pictures and all of that that I still need to set up. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you might want to get on that. Yeah, You're right. Luckily, there was a there was a dev team that actually uh, got back to us, got on, yeah, got on it, it and let people. Yeah, it only took them eleven days to write a paragraph and a half. Uh, yeah. so we talked it, about an ambiguous Road. one at that. Right. Yeah. Um, we talked about Allison Road last week that uh, they have decided to shutter the game. It is over and done, and that's a disappointment to a great many people, uh, myself included, because as much as I hate, you know, horror games, this one looked pretty good. And, uh, pretty good. They it was posted, beautiful. Right? Yeah. Uh, here, is, here is, in its entirety, their update as to... Uh, the situation. After a long consideration between Team 17 and ourselves, we have reached a mutual agreement to end our collaboration on publishing Allison Road under Team 17's games label. Sometimes things pan out differently than expected as game development and publishing have so many layers of complexity. Dot, dot, dot. We'd like to especially thank everyone for their support throughout. It has and will always be appreciated. And then if you go through all of the comments and everything, they haven't commented on it, but there are definitely people that seem to know what's going on that says the rights to everything still remains with Team 17 and we're never going to see Allison Road. Uh, now, we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago, right? I mean, it was, yeah. last, we it was last week. Was it last week? And we mentioned, it was early in the week. We, we <clears> mentioned <throat> that it could be like a publisher issue, but I kinda want, I'm kind of curious it, what kind of issue. Like, is it, was it like a dramatic kind of thing, or were, was Allison Rowe just, or not Allison Rowe, was uh, Lilith just not doing it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, the, I, this, is a, this is a good thing to field to Chuck. Having been in the industry for so long, when you see that language coming out in a press release, what does that mean usually behind the scenes? Oh, they run out of money. Um, God, it could be almost anything. There's I was going to say, it's, yeah, it's, I guess it's that's vague enough they, that it's yeah. pretty much throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, I mean, I've worked on a lot of different games that have changed radically through their process. I've worked on a lot of games that have been killed halfway through, quarter of the way through. Um, I worked at a company where they did three prototypes and not one of them ever made it to actual uh, fruition. So, you know, this sort of thing happens. I've also seen games where they work on it to a certain degree and uh, then decide that, okay, we've worked on this long enough. Now let's uh, just throw it out there and see what happens. Uh, and, and, that, and then you get the new Duke Nukem Forevers of the world. Or you get the uh, Rogue Warriors of the world produced by the Bethesda Software. Oh, uh, which I was uh, I was uh, consulting art director for Bethesda, and we had um, a game company called Zombie Studios in Salt in Seattle, and they were producing uh, something called uh, it was a Rogue Warrior. It was about this uh, Dick Marchenko, who was an ex Navy SEAL. Uh, they get stuck him and his SEAL team gets stuck down in uh, in uh, South in North Korea, and they have to escape and figure their way out and everything else. And um, 
the zombie was doing such a terrible job with it and wasted so much money on the game that they sent me out there to basically kind of like get the artwork level up and a producer went with me to help the game level go up and uh you know end up having to fire a bunch of people and Eesh. and it was not a fun process and then by the end everything by the by the time the game was uh, you know we had gone through all the all the trying to get the vertical slice up and make the game look better and play better uh they had spent 14 million dollars i think on the thing and ended up having to essentially pull it from the company and pulled it from uh another developer that was doing something else with it and finally i i left the company after you know this big you know foobard uh kind of project and and then at some point in the future i saw hey wow there's rogue warrior and go low and behold it was the biggest piece of shit i've ever seen 28 percent 28 percent on metacritic there you go yeah didn't they didn't they push that over to um i want to say rebel no rebellion probably um, I, I think that's the, I, it sounds familiar yeah, I, they sent me over to Britain for six months where I was robbed, I was mugged, I was uh, my room was stolen. <laughs> this little tiny town called, oh God, it was in Middlesbrough, and uh, to work on a bowling game. Uh, <laughs> and I, it involved 25, 30 minutes of work a day, and I had nothing to do the rest of the day. So I just art directed this damn thing. I said, yeah, make a background, have planes flying back there, you know, and be careful they don't put nipples on the girl who's bowling, you know, and all these things. I mean, it was it was absolutely the biggest waste of time. I could have done it on the phone. And yeah. uh, but, uh, I get to, I got to go to England and and, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to put a pin. Go I'm going to put a pin uh, in a question in regards to that for, for the interview, uh, which is uh, happening. Is it now? Right. Is it now? now? Yeah. It is. Oh, it well, is. that is what's what a, what a segue. <laughs> uh, Speaking of interviews. So, okay, there's, I'm going to, we'll go into like the first question, but to, to springboard off of that, um, was that your, like, because of like that kind of bullshit, was that your, like your calling to, to the indie scene where you're just like, you know what? I'm doing this myself. Actually, no. Um, after I worked on, uh, after I worked at Bethesda, I went to Vicarious Visions, uh, where I got a chance to work on Marvel Marvel Ultimate Alliance Two. Oh, I love that and, game! Uh, and I got, uh, I was doing, I was a, a senior artist there, and I um, immediately got pegged since I'd been doing this stuff for a long time uh, as uh, the uh, art group manager. So they hired me. They moved me from my position as an artist to an art manager, where I was managing about seventy some artists. And, and that changed where we hired somebody else and we split the, the, the team up or the, the art, art group up. And um, I guess uh, that was really what kind of gave me the idea that I didn't want to be doing this anymore because managing 70 artists uh, or 35 artists even is, uh, is I don't know if you've ever managed artists before, but, uh, you know, we're, isn't, we're a bunch. You know? Isn't like I, mean, managing... I, I was in a band once. I... I, I sort of see it. I feel, I, feel like, <laughs> like, I feel like managing art is counterproductive in the first place because art's supposed to be pretty, you know, free and expressive, and you're just like, no, you do it this way. Well, we had a, the, the, the job involved basically having to make sure everybody was on the right project. Yeah. You know, and that was it. Make sure that they had all the tools. I mean, my biggest claim to fame in that entire job was that I got every single artist in, at Vicarious Visions a Cintiq. Now, if anybody doesn't know what a Cintiq is, it's a Wacom tablet that's a screen. It's about yay big. And uh, you draw on it, so it lets you draw on it with pressure sensitivity. And uh, it's something that a lot of the artists really liked. And as far as I know, you know, a lot of them that are still there, who's ever still there now, uh, still probably have those things. But that was, that was like I managed to somehow finagle budgets for, 
70 of these things at about 2500 bucks a pop. Actually, yeah. I really, I, those things are actually really cool because I, I do uh, voiceovers professionally on the side, and um, a lot of the people I talk to are animators, and they use the, the like Wacom, uh, the bamboo, and they still have Cintiq uh, you know, models and things like that. So I think yep. those things are really uh, cool and useful. And they're dropping in price. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tablets in general, it's crazy. Um, well, so speaking speaking a bit wait, of your past, forgive me. What? I to to kick this interview off, I wanted to go into that question. Oh, just hold on to your. I wasn't mouth, gonna man. ask. A, no, you know, I wasn't gonna ask a question. I was just gonna kind of do an introduction. Oh, uh, well, go ahead. Because you know that's you, what I was gonna we, do. Go ahead. Oh well, no, fine, no, you no. do it. All right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this is VH1 behind the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, on the podcast. <laughs> You're, he's a prickly bastard because of his uh, his job. Yeah, anyway, he looks hurt. yeah, he's, he's a little butt hurt. So this is the official interview. I started off with the questions, kind of weird, but I got excited. So anyway, the interview. We are here with Chuck Carter and Calvin Moisen, um, who are from Ear Games, working on the game Zed. Uh, that is currently being kickstarted. We'll get into that to that a little bit. Just to give some history, Chuck worked on uh, games like Myst and uh, Command and Conquer, and uh, you said Marvel Ultimate Alliance. You were involved with, um, even though you were a manager, but you know Babylon Five. You worked on Babylon Five, so he has a really deep history uh, in games and, and Myst specifically. Um, also, don't forget Calvin Josh. Yeah, I, I would get there. Too. Jesus, you guys. <laughs> would you like to? Would you like to Work just like stick your hand up my so. ass and make me your puppet? Like, <laughs> hey, uh, my name is Josh. Yeah. I'm incompetent. Yeah, incompetent. <laughs> I'm a, I'm incompetent because you two keep inter- interrupting me. Right. So anyway, uh, so he worked on this stuff, and let me say that first mist uh, is a really big gaming influence on me personally. I know Rev, you said not that so as much as like uh, Command and Conquer and things like that. Uh, Tech you was one of your first games that you ever played. Yeah. Um, that was like my first PC game, possibly, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's probably between that and um, King's Quest V, I think it was, uh, that really inspired my love for adventure games. So I'm really excited about this. Um, on the other hand, Calvin, um, who is, uh, I'm not, actually, how, uh, if you're comfortable in saying, how old are you, Calvin? I'm 24. 24. So not as much experience, but um, how? What kinds of things have you worked on before um, uh, working on on Zed? Yeah. Um, well, working with Zed, we've done a lot of stuff with the Unreal Engine. Um, there's been a lot to learn, um, but luckily I picked it up pretty quickly. Um, Unreal takes a lot of the load off, so there are a lot of things that you would think might be really complex that end up being quite simple. Um, that doesn't mean that it's all easy peasy. There's still a lot of work you need to do to just get some um, pretty basic game elements working. Um, if you notice, our demo um, doesn't have um, all that much for a menu. Uh, there's a menu that allows you to resume, start, and exit. But you know all those options like graphical settings and resolutions, those things all need to be programmed in by someone. So uh, those are the kind of things that I've been studying up on and working on um, now, in you, my time. You you basically came into this fresh out of college, right? Yep, pretty much. You just kind of walked across the platform, got your diploma, walked into Eager Games and said, hey, hire me. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it, actually, it actually was a little easier than that, and it was um, 
it, it was uh, the, the the story goes. I essentially was just really annoying. Um, <laughs> I I knew there was a fellow student of mine who uh, I knew was working with Chuck, and as soon as I found out, I started emailing him. Um, Chuck was hosting a few classes he was teaching at, a, at another local university, um, some 3D art and animation courses. I had signed up for them. I ended up being really sick a couple of the weeks for the classes, so I didn't end up going. And I thought to myself, oh, crap, I'm never going to get this. Um, I'm never going to get this job now. I've totally blown off my chances. And then out of the blue, I get this email uh, something like the second week of September of last year that's like, do you want to work with Eager Games as a programmer? And I was like, yes, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, it's been, you know, it's been a wild ride since then. It's been great working with Chuck. Um, I've learned a lot about, uh, in a very short amount of time, about the gaming industry, like the, some of the behind the scenes aspect of the games industry and learning a lot about Unreal. Um, learning a lot about game development. Most of my past experience is mostly application development for uh, Windows. Okay. So, um, you know, pretty bare bones, not bare bones stuff, but it's very data driven. Mm -hmm. um, right. You know, it's, 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 it's lots of form applications and stuff like that. This is a whole new ball game, but it's a lot of fun because I like a good challenge, and it's certainly challenging. And you seem to be doing a good job. Because <laughs> I mean, Chuck, at least the demo works. You're doing a good great. job because you're still working there, and Chuck actually brought you on the show <laughs> yeah. with him. So, Chuck, doesn't, you know. Chuck, Chuck doesn't hate me yet, so I think I'm doing a good job. <laughs> I haven't annoyed. I haven't uh, annoyed the time. crap out of me. So. Uh, well, so it, he's like a voodoo doll, voodoo doll of you in the background, just pin stuff. In. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, when it comes to Zed, uh, have a. <laughs> What? I he missed that. He showed it. He had a Charlie Charlie Brown figurine. Oh. Um, <laughs> so uh, when it comes to Zed, tell us about uh, Zed in your own words. What, you, what is the what is the concept of Zed? Um, Zed. Well, Zed essentially is it's it's a it's a journey into this man's dreams. Uh, this guy, he's older. He's dying. Uh, he's kind of in and out of a coma and. He also is suffering from dementia, so he can't remember things. And essentially, you as a player find yourself in this this environment, which is basically his dreamscape. You're in his dream world. And you as a player also have to figure out exactly what it is that he needs to, to finish, so to speak. He's got this final task he has to do, this final gift he wants to give his granddaughter. But he can't remember what it is. So as a player, you help him figure out what that is. And you do that essentially by reconnecting parts of his mind uh, in order for him to remember these elements to be able to put this thing together. So that's it pretty much in a nutshell. But you're exposed to his his life through the dreams. You're exposed to different times of his of his of different types of his memories. Uh, all these things come into play into dreamscapes. Uh, we're lucky we've got a writer, a guy named uh, Joe Fielder, who worked on the Bioshock games doing the writing for us. And, uh, you know, so between Joe and I, we're working on all these things, trying to get them all together. But that's it in a nutshell. You basically are there to help fix this guy's memory to finish a gift for his granddaughter. But it's also edgy. There's conflict. He knows you're in there. And there's parts of him that don't want to see you in there or they don't want you at all in there. So uh, he fights against you at places. Uh, so uh, if you've seen the demo, you had a good idea of what some of that dreamscape looks like. So um, is this game taking a lot of inspiration from your time with games like Myst, um, you know, art-wise or even gameplay-wise? Actually not. Um, I, you know, I, when, you, when you work in this industry for as long as I've been in it, 
99% of the games I've worked on pretty much, we had strong art direction from somebody else when I was doing art for games. Unless I was an art director, then I was designing things myself. But I always did it with the idea that I was doing the art for someone, uh, for a producer or for a uh, you know, creative director or whatever. So I always geared whatever work I was doing to whoever was actually you know, producing the game or designing the game. This is the first game I've actually had a chance to do the art as I would have done it. You know, I mean, if I, my, my work from Mist is, you know, you look back on it, that's pretty old stuff now, and it's fairly dated if you look at it. It was, we were limited technologically. We were limited in a lot of ways. Uh, nowadays, I'm not limited at all. So my inspiration comes not only from, you know, partially from some of the games I've worked on in the past, but also from my own dreams. I, I pull from my dreamscapes. I have a friend uh, who's um, kind of suffering exactly what it is this dreamer suffering from right now, a mentor of mine, who's about 20 years older than me. And, and he's the guy who kind of got me started in art way, way long time ago. And, and he's now uh, suffering from dementia. Uh, he is always trying to finish something, but he can't remember what it is. And, you know, and I, I don't have much opportunities to talk with him because he doesn't remember me anymore. And uh, so other friends of mine tell me how he's doing and everything else. So this dream, this game is based loosely on a number of elements. That's one of them. My dreams are another one. My own parts of my own dream life are part of the game as well. So, and we feed off of each other in the team. We come up with ideas that invariably uh, find our way into the story. As you know, as a as a kind of a collaborative effort between all of us working at Eater. So, <clears throat> No, no, go. No, sorry. I was just literally was just clearing oh. my throat. Okay. Um, <clears throat> He's done clearing your throat. Okay. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry. I was I got caught up on the on the on the video I was watching because I was playing some gameplay footage uh, that I found on YouTube. Uh, Calvin, as far as um, what you had in the demo, like what parts mm -hmm. um, would are what parts have your fingerprints on it? Uh, well, pretty much anything that moves, anything that you interact with, um, that's got my fingerprints on it. Um, obviously, all the art is Chuck. Um, like Chuck said, he does pretty much everything art-wise. We've got a couple new people coming on, but up until this point, he's been churning it all out. And I've been the one to kind of piece it all together into something that becomes playable. So um, the menu systems you see in the game, um, the little pop-up reticles that you see showing up um, in areas where you can interact with items, the animations that occur on um, the items as you click them. Um, there's a three-button puzzle in there that I um, I kind of came up with a concept with, and then Chuck and I fleshed it out. Chuck built the objects, and um, I programmed all the logic for the puzzle. Um, that, that puzzle, by the way? <laughs> when, when I first saw it... Puzzle. It, it, it's... It, we really just wanted to get something really well, simple right. in there. That... But <laughs> it was perfect because I'm walking around and I'm like, it's supposed to be a dream. So so I'm looking at things sort of in like an abstract way. And I'm like, oh, there are signs on here. Oh, that's neat. Oh, look at that house over there. And I go over to the buttons and I see the symbols. And I'm like, turning back around, going back to the signs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I it's remember that. you over the head with that first puzzle, you know. So. Yeah. It, it's funny mm -hmm. you should mention abstract. That was one of the things that a lot of people say about Mist is that the puzzles are very abstract. And they're very convoluted and they're very challenging. And you find yourself kind of wandering around looking for details that you have no idea where to look for them and you're not sure what you're doing. Um, and we're really trying to step away from that idea, um, do something that's more straightforward, you know, still challenging and, and, and getting you thinking, but not the kind of thing that, that strings you up by your feet and 
um, you know, beats you up while it makes you beg for more. It, it's more of a, you know, we want this to be fun. So we're developing puzzles that are very much, um, that work with the world, you know, that involve you observing the world around you and um, piecing things back together in order to kind of rebuild the world around you that's um, slightly broken by the um, effects of the dreamer's waning mind. What would you what would you say is the, the the largest technical hurdle that you guys have had to get the project to this to this point, where to the point where you're willing to to go on Kickstarter and start showing people, you know, in depth. You know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a. I mean, optimization is obviously part of that, but I, th I think more of it has to do with my my own sense of perfectionism. I, I'm a perfectionist. That gets in the way more than anything else of anything. It's kind of like, oh, I hate that. So I rebuild it all from scratch and I've done this numerous times with the demo and then Calvin's been ripping his hair out. He used to have a lot more hair before starting this. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, Luckily, it, you know. it grows back fast. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, technically, I mean, I, you know, Calvin could, could speak on this more, but I mean, it, it's been just making sure that we're, we're optimizing. So it runs on a lot of different machines relatively fast. Yeah. And I think we've gotten, gotten it there to that point now. It's taken a little while. It's getting, it's a matter of us getting used to using Unreal, for one thing. Mm -hmm. right. And I'm and coming actually, Unreal for, as an artist, so it's a little bit different. Yeah. And so, Unreal actually takes a lot of the technical load off. So in terms of, like, some people, a lot of people wonder, well, how do you take that thing in the editor and turn that into an EXE or something you can run? It's honestly as simple as, like, two button clicks, file, package for Windows, Mac, or Linux. Um, and, you know, some t I, that was a little hurdle for us because we were trying to figure out, we were getting lots of errors when that was happening, and it turned out to be something quite simple that we just didn't know about, and we figured it out, and we ended up fixing it, and it, after that worked no problem. Nice. Um, so, as Chuck said, a lot of the technological hur hurdles really are optimizing. Uh, right now, the demo, the preview exists in a very unoptimized state. We pretty much just wanted to get it somewhere that was playable on most machines, um, we had to do um, some clever little tricks um, as far as loading objects in and out when you can't see them to try to reduce the memory draw. Um, so old old school stuff mostly. Yeah, yeah. But you'd be surprised how many old school principles are still extremely relevant today. You just have a lot. You <laughs> yeah. just have much better tools to implement those principles with. Um, so wh th this sort of ties in with you guys talking about Unreal. So why did you ultimately choose to go with Unreal for this game? Well, Was that my, just like I, what you guys were working in at the time? Well, I, I, throughout my career, I've had a chance to work on Unreal a number of times. Um, never on a, on a personal basis, not like I'm doing now. But through the years, I've, I've had a chance to, uh, for numerous other projects, uh, a vast majority of them never saw the light of day, unfortunately. But we were using Unreal 2 and Unreal 3, you know, and, and basically going through um, various games. And, and what's always impressed me about it was the fact that once you got through what used to be something of an obtuse interface, um, they've simplified it down to where almost anybody can use it fairly quickly and get up and running with it. Uh, I did look at Unity for a little while, but Unity didn't have the depth of, the, of uh, capabilities that Unreal has. Unreal... You know, works on a Mac, it works on a PC, you can export out to virtually any platform, any mobile or console or desktop. Uh, one of the nice things about it, too, is that it's also very um, uh, friendly in as far as, uh, you know, how the editor works. Uh, when you're working on a Mac or a PC, you can jump back and forth. And I've got a PC behind me, and I'm working on a Mac on most of the building when I'm putting everything together because I've been a Mac guy for years. But, 
you know, I also, you know, I'm pretty agnostic as far as systems go, and uh, I like the fact that it works both. And, you know, this is a mature piece of software. I guess that's really what it has going for it. It's been around for a while. It works. It does what it says, and it's and it's um, it gives us the best look and feel I think for any engine that's out there, you know, with ease of use, which is very rare, and it's right. free. <laughs> there you go. Um, so talking about the the actual Kickstarter, um, you've got uh, right now you're asking for forty eight thousand um, dollars, and you're currently at thirty one thousand three hundred fourteen dollars. Uh, with 13... I pledged. I pledged while we were waiting for the show to start. Just Thank saying. You. Thank, Thank you. With uh, thirteen thirteen days to go, um, some just to give some people the information on what what they can do. They, you have uh, rewards all the way from five dollars all the way to eighty five hundred, wasn't it? Ten thousand. Ten thousand. I think ten five dollars gets you a thank you and backer updates. Ten thousand dollars gets you just a little bit more, where you get to uh, <laughs> where you get every <laughs> other tier. Bit. You get every other tier. You get to visit the studio in in Maine. Uh, is it in Maine, the studio? Yep. Yes. Okay. Uh, you get to visit the studio in Maine, which is Bar Harbor, and uh, you get all the physical and digital rewards, all that sort of stuff, all the stuff on there for just ten thousand dollars. You can. Yeah. yeah so you can if you're that. if you're a big Fallout Four fan and you really liked Bar Harbor, you can pay give us ten thousand dollars and come visit the real place. There you go. That's right. <laughs> is that what it's based off of? Yep. It's based off of Bar Harbor, Maine. Oh, that's cool. cool. I did not yeah. know that. That's um, awesome. So, uh, any other rewards that you want to like highlight real quick that you think are really cool, specifically? Well, we have a lot of different things. We have different, uh, you know, small printed uh, characters and, and things from the game itself, items, tokens, a lot of different uh, things like uh, original art. Uh, you know, I'll draw somebody's caricature. You know, if someone has a particular reward, I forget which tier that is. Um, uh, do we'll you know we'll basically have signed maps of every level uh, that'll be on on a special cloth and stretched for you as far as I remember. Uh, so we, I mean, there's just a variety. A lot of the typical things you'll get with almost any Kickstarter, you know, your name in the game, uh, you know, your graffiti, uh, a special park bench you can sit down and look at some place, you know. So a little bit of everything. It's just we're trying to treat it like it's a real world, and you're getting a, a reward that. That reflects, you know, actually sort of being in a real world, even though it's it's a digital world, virtual world, and um, you know, that's pretty much it, it covers almost everything and anything most Kickstarters cover. Yeah, well, it, it, so, th I think that works because you are sort of in a representation of a mind looking at it from the real world. Mm -hmm. So, and and you you know. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? No, I think that got away from you a bit. Ah, whatever. I, I, so I have a, I have a question out of, out of curiosity because I mean, having, having seen what I have of, of Zed and, and now having conversated with you guys, uh, why Kickstarter specifically? Like, like, have, have did you just want to avoid um, going a publisher route and, and maintain the, the self-publishing aspect, or can you go into that decision process for me? Yeah, I think pretty much it's just we needed some money or we're, we're, we're hoping to raise the money so we can do some optimization, be able to hire somebody to help out with some additional, um, you know, background animations, things like that, just to kind of cover the things that right now we don't have the budget for, but we're hoping that we can make enough money in Kickstarter to be able to, to, to do these things that we want to finish up and make sure we do it right. We want to make sure that we have enough money to make the, what we know is going to be a good game even a better game. 
And for that to actually occur, we need to raise some money. And then, you know, we're also talking to investors and, and looking at different grants and other things as well. But, you know, this is one way for us to make sure that we do the game right. You know, it's just that little bit of money makes a big difference considering, one, that we live in Maine. And that costs here are so much less than they would be if I was in Boston or New York or L.A. or wherever. You know, that, you know, location makes a huge difference. And, um, you know, that money, while it doesn't seem like a whole lot of money, it is a lot of money in the way that we'll make it, we'll stretch it and make it work for us. Yeah, we were we were talking to, um, I think it was Hugh Monahan from Brigador who lived in, I forget where he lived, but it was like the highest tax rate of any state uh, on your on income or something like that. So I can see how the location like really affects you know your your productivity and your and your uh, the resources available to you. Um, and I was also taking a look at the stretch goals. You have uh, your first stretch goal being character animation. So uh, I was kind of curious about that. When when you say character animation, it's not like it's not like where everything's static in there really. So uh, you know, are you what what is that exactly? What do you mean by that? Well, character animation in this case means background animations, little creatures that are scurrying about or flying through the air, you know, different things that will bring the environment even more to life. Not that we're going to go into this without that in there. We will have those things in there. But it would be nice to bring somebody on who can actually take what we're doing and expand on it to bring the world even more to life. I mean, we don't want to give you a, a place that feels, you know, totally like you're the only thing that's moving in it. We want to give you a place that feels alive. And in order to do that, we need to hire somebody or bring somebody on board who has experience with doing, you know, this type of character animation, especially with animals and flocking and and different things to kind of help the world, you know, feel like that you're in this vibrant living place. All dreams have, in a lot of cases, I mean, my dreams in particular, we have, there are, there are things that occur in the dream that, you know, at first you, you don't realize they're there, but after you start looking around, you'll see bird-like things or things crawling around or wrapping around things or flying or any number of things. And we want to use that, that part of the stretch goal to bring this stuff to life, you know, add to what we have already. Now, I, I, I noticed that uh, part of Eager Games' philosophy is is nonviolent, immersive, exploration type. Um, I, I Obviously, I'm I'm a fan of that kind of genre because you know, I, my reflexes are starting to get shot. Um, but uh, is is that kind of philosophical basis come from just personal experience, or is it like I don't know how I'm going to phrase that question properly, but I hope you get the gist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a conscious decision. I mean, you know, Mist was a game that had conflict built into it through the two brothers you know it's just a story based a narrative type of conflict zed will have a narrative conflict built between you and the dreamer that's you know we'll give it that bit of an edge but the non-violent aspect of it sometimes i think that we need to slow down a little bit we tend to move through things too fast Mm -hmm. my philosophy is you know let's slow the player down a little bit make them stop and 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 look at their environment look at the world that they're around pay attention to things and, you know, look up, look down, look all around. I want to give people a, a, a virtual experience that, you know, you're not forced or pressured to finish at a certain time. You can take your time. And while there is kind of like an unofficial time limit in the game, like the guy is dying, that you have to get these things done, there's no pressure of something chasing after you. You know, we may block your way or you may wander into some dark corridor and suddenly find yourself lost because there are dark areas in this man's dreams. 
you know, nothing's going to come jumping out at you and, and, and try to kill you. And I think that there's a lot of value, especially considering the amount of violence that goes on in a world today, that just to kind of simply slow down a little bit. And I think a game that helps slow you down in the way that is both meditative in some ways or relaxing or just, you know, challenging from an intellectual standpoint, I think that has value. Excellent. Um, it's a very so, exercise so, market, too. There hasn't been... <laughs> There's not a whole lot of games that are like that right now. There yeah. are they're out there, but not a whole lot of them. Mm -hmm. so, so speaking of other games that are kind of in the genre, I just want to get your opinion on, um, you know, speaking of Myst, uh, and, and goes for you too, Calvin, uh, your opinion on the games that are heavily inspired by Myst and games like that, or at least seem to be like uh, The Witness, or um, we actually just talked to uh, some people who were heavily inspired by mist uh with a game called under earth using like the environmental uh puzzles without a whole lot of hand holding um what, what's your opinion on uh the the current games today and the direction that they're going in that specific genre oh, you want to answer that first kevin i can't yeah, sure uh, i mean i i feel like right now there aren't a lot of games out that are like mist or have been uh directly inspired by Mist, you might see a few. Um, I know Jonathan Blow of The Witness talked about how he specifically wanted to get away from the Mist t style uh, puzzle game. I know he, he had some less than kind things to say about that genre. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think we're not trying to rehash anything that's been done before. Um, you know, we know people have seen Mist. You know, they've, they've gotten that. There were, there were five Mist games. We're not making another miss game, um, <laughs> right. so um, we're trying to to kind of up, update that idea, um, make something new, uh, make something a little different that still, um, you know, kind of reminds the player of those fond memories of playing Mist without all the frustration. Um, but as far as other games that are out there right now, I, I can't really speak to many. I, I don't think there are many that really compare as honestly. Um, in that same kind of awe-inspiring yet extremely brutal uh, fashion that Mist did. Yeah, the only only games that come to mind, and, and I mean The Witness, which is, I, have you guys yeah. played The Witness? Uh, yeah, the, I, I I didn't I didn't realize that he slammed Mist. Which is weird because he slammed. I mean, it I know he I know he kind of comes off as a douchebag <laughs> sometimes, but. Um, I didn't realize that he did that. I, I, to me, I mean, the puzzles oh. are different because it's not as environmental. It's pretty, it's more, it's more straightforward. But to me, I'm like, it's on an isolated Island thing and you're walking you're around the only, and, and, you're the, and the more you do, like, the more story you're supposed <laughs> you know to uncover. I mean? Yeah. So Duh. it kind of, it's like mist screaming to me, but, um, go like, ahead, I think the big yeah. difference between something like the witness and something, uh, what Zed is, is, like you said, The Witness involved a lot of puzzles that really involved you stopping, planting, solving puzzles, moving on. Yeah. Um, you right. know, the world was the world really was gorgeous, um, but nothing really made you look at the world. Nothing really, you weren't really asked as a player to go explore. No, nothing challenged you to do that. You just kind of solved puzzles. Yeah. yeah. Um, what we wanted, yeah. and 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 it's a great game, and there are great puzzles in it. But it was very clear that 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 was a puzzle game. Um, we want to make something that's got a slightly broader vision, um, something that's a whole, an entire experience, not just um, 
you know, one genre. So um, making sure that everything is very environmental, making sure that, like Chuck said, you're looking all over the place, whether that be because you have to look up and grab something that's way up high um, for a puzzle element or because you simply need to look for a clue that might be, you know, right there, but all you have to do is look at the floor or look at the ceiling. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it, one of the the, uh, the things that kind of inspired me to actually to do Zed and uh, our, the next game we're doing is called Curio. Um, I was going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, we have, I mean, a couple of different games, and I'd love to do Murdoch's World someday. But um, uh, there was this this little game that came out uh, called Dear Rester. I don't know if you guys yes. are familiar with mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's a, it's a really beautiful game. And a story is purely narrative. There's no puzzles involved at all in that game. It's all just basically exploration and have a story, you know, trigger, you know, parts of the narrative as you're moving through the game. And you get a chance to see some, I mean, some ideas and elements in that that are beautiful. It's it's definitely a walkabout, but it, it's a beautiful walkabout with a really, you know, heartbreaking story. And it's just like something that, you know, the way they approached that game, it did very well uh, from a market standpoint and led to them doing, you know, everyone's gone to the rapture, which is a lot more, which is a lot different. And, um, you know, so both those games have value. They're very, they're not missed like necessarily, but they do, they don't involve violence and uh, they are compelling when you're playing them. I mean, the Stanley parable, if anybody's played that game, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. that, that game, you know, you've got all these different endings and different ways to play the game and it's always sending you back to the beginning. And uh, there's something that's just fun. There's a sense of humor about that game. But again, it's another game that doesn't use violence in any way in order to, you know, promote the story or, or make you feel pressured to do something. It's all just sort of like your own frustration or, or the characters kind of like forcing you to do something you don't necessarily want to do. So there are games out there. And you got the upcoming Abduction from Cyan, which um, I've been looking at a lot of things there. Rand Miller and I have been talking from Cyan a lot lately. And uh, from what I can tell, I mean, it's a, that's going to be an absolutely stunningly beautiful game and uh, a lot different than what we're doing. I mean, you know, whereas that's a very solid mechanical, you know, place, there's big, huge things you've got to move and change and and you affect your environment in a much different way than we affect ours. Our our game, essentially, you are in a dream and at any given moment, things can change. You could be walking into the around a corner and, and suddenly you, instead of the city, you're you're standing in some dilapidated house and you don't know how you got there. The whole atmosphere changes like a dream. If anyone's had dreams where you'll notice that you kind of wake up a little bit and then you fall back asleep, the whole dream changes the dynamic. Yeah. We're trying to capture some of that with this, with Zed, the way Zed is being designed. And as Calvin was saying, there are elements within it that are puzzle-based that you'll like reach up to grab something or or pull a lever down or you know, start manipulating something in the environment or have the environment manipulating itself around you. And you'll have to, you know, kind of like jump around from places. I mean, there's going to be a variety of things in it that force you to think a little differently than a traditional puzzle game. What? Uh... And also, uh, hold on, on that, on that note too, when I was playing the demo that you guys had, one of the things that really stuck out to me is, is you, you were talking like really dynamic, uh, you know, environments. And I was, you know, you just walk into different places and just the very subtle audio changes and how the music changes a little bit more depending on where you are. You can really like feel like there was a there was a point in time where I'm I'm walking through and the one of the first things I noticed was it's very uh, desaturated here. And all of a sudden I turned a corner after a certain point and I was just like I just I, I saw the same thing that I did but with tons of color. 
and and that mixed with you know how how the the music and the sound around me was changing it was extremely immersive i haven't felt that in a really long time well, we, we want to manipulate the player we want to manipulate yeah. your environment i yep. i think that games miss on opportunities to slow you down enough to where we can actually you know take advantage of some of the tools that come with the engine and we can utilize some of these tools in a way like you know, it's a post-effect, basically, and we just say, all right, I'm going to have this whole beginning of it desaturated. And that reflects from some of my own dreams. There was a point when I was dreaming in black and white, and, and I, I didn't even think I could ever dream in colors. And one day I'm dreaming in black and white, and something changed in a dream, and all of a sudden it's just bright color everywhere. And to be able to do that in a game, to kind of, you know, change your, your, your own perception uh, of where you're at by using saturation or desaturating or oversaturating or literally changing the mood, you know you can you can have someone in the same level go through a, a variety of atmospheric changes that could set you know the way that that mood is essentially manipulating the the gameplay itself. You can go into an area where it's very warm and maybe that's warm for a reason. Maybe it's warm like hey you're getting warm. You're you know you're getting to a place where. You know, there's something's going to happen here, or you can get to a cooler place where, you know, this is really pretty, but nothing's going to happen here. So we can use color, we can use all sorts of different tools that come with the game in order to establish, you know, a different feel with the game. And sound obviously is a very important aspect of that too. Um, with, what would you? Go ahead. With with the game being in a dream, um, I can't think of the word. It's like it's 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 a word for um, it's like an SAT word. For when like architecture, Surreal? no, it's like when architecture like breaks laws of physics, like in space. Escher esque. <laughs> sure, it's it's a longer word than that, but like like if a, if if you go into a house and it like turns left and turns left and turns left, and like it shouldn't exist but does. But anyway, um, is there a lot of that kind of architecture in there? There there really isn't a whole lot of that type of architecture, but there will be some places where, you know, will kind of challenge you as to you know what. Your perception is of, of how you're manipulating around the environment, or you know, how or how you're traveling through the environment. Right. Like the the, the the door you just walked through might not, if you turn around and take it again, might not take you to the same place you were before, mm. because you never know in a dream what's going to happen or where you are going to go. You might turn a corner and find yourself right. somewhere totally new. It's, yeah, it's kind of like like the word I was thinking. It was kind of like um, thinking in a in a fourth dimension where like somehow a triangle is able to fill a circle. It's like you can't really like fathom it, um, you know that sort of thing. So, I was I was wondering if it was like that kind of architecture as an artist, since it's so hard to fathom in that kind of dimension, uh, is that like a really big challenge? E even though there's not a whole lot of it, but like, is it kind of a challenge when it comes to creating that sense of um, disorientation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, to create the artwork, no, that's 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 fairly straightforward to do that. I mean, it's. MC Escher did this sort of thing all the time with with all the stairwells going up and around and platforms and you're upside down you're walking sideways any number of things that kind of go go around in the, in his designs building stuff like that in 3D is fairly easy the problem tends to be with the programming aspect of it making it work because we got to change and flip your orientation in order to make that work correctly and you know you can do that but it can also be very disorienting for a player. Uh, where it may actually disrupt the gameplay or the flow of the game if you do it too often. We may do it in one or two small places just to kind of say, hey, look, you know, this happened here, and it maybe, you know, flip you off into some other direction. 
you know, you don't want to overdo something like that. At least my own experience shows that if you do things like that too much, disorient the player, uh, that will inhibit their ability to finish the game and may not even, it may be too disorienting for some people to be able to play it, especially considering that we want to do this in VR as well. And you try doing that in VR, that could really, you know, could get in the way of actually playing the game yeah. a little we're, bit. Yeah, we're, we're not Keep aiming to disorient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. disorient the player as much as we're just trying to implement, uh, give them that dreamlike sense of wonder and mystery and um, not sh not being sure what's going to come next. Um, but not in the kind of, oh god, what's coming next, but more in that hopeful, excited sense. Like, what's going to be around the next corner? Mm. Uh, so, uh, what would you what would you say has been your your guys's favorite uh, moment or, or favorite experience working on Zed? Um, go ahead, Kevin. No, you go ahead, Chuck. <laughs> oh no, you you go first. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I have to uh, say, you. My, favorite, my favorite time is is when I I finish a piece for NASA, because then I can just I can immerse myself in a game again. You know, it's like. It's like having a day job. I, I do enough work for them where that'll keep me busy for a couple days a week, typically. And, uh, you know, I've got to support the company somehow. But the moment I get that stuff done and I get it and I put it behind me, I get a chance to jump back into the game again and start building. I mean, the whole process of building a level and conceiving it and designing it, all of it is, is actually very amazing for me. And this one level, too, in particular that's in the demo is has been a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, bits and pieces of inspiration that have made their way into that that level that have made it even more fun to build. And that's gone through a number of iterations, and uh, most of the iterations have been um, uh, reactions to trying to make it much more optimized. And that's been probably the biggest cha challenge. But, you know, it is a lot of fun working in that world and building it. But there are a lot of other worlds, too, that are in process, too, that are just as much fun. Okay. And a couple more questions before we uh, move on. But... Um, going off of Rev's question uh, about your favorite experience, what are your guys' favorite experience uh, in the indie game community, whether it be as a dev, a gamer, or just any any time that you've been within the indie game community? What's your favorite experience there? Um, as as a as a gamer, I'd say my favorite experience is at, at least playing indie games. Um, where uh, this is going to be really cheesy, but Undertale was kind of uh, it, it was a great game. Um, I was surprised with it. It was this to me, uh, you know, a ton, a ton of my friends had recommended it. I was like, oh, it's this ten bucks, ten dollar game. I'll buy it. You know, whatever. It's another pixel art indie, what something. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just humor my friends and play it, so they'll stop bugging me about it. And I played it, and I was really shocked with how effectively um, a narrative was conveyed and how um, they took uh, Toby Fox took the classic kind of turn-based RPG and made it a little different and more fun. Uh, introduced, uh, you know, a new kind of mechanic concept that we've seen in other games, but was really well implemented in his. Um, and as far as working as a developer, so far my favorite experience has just been working in the community and meeting other developers and seeing how encouraging everybody is. It's like everybody just wants to see everybody else do well. Um, at the end of the day, it, it really, it, it's like, you know, it. sometimes we're competing for for you know for players sometimes you know we might be butting heads in terms of things like that but we're all still here for each other and you know going to conventions um, going to meetups and seeing people and talking to them it's really kind of a wonderful experience 
to see all these people who are all together for the same reason. You know, it's it's fantastic about that because we anytime someone mentions like the dev side of things in indie games, it, it's always the same answer, and I love it. <laughs> I love that fact because it's it's so true, and it's one of the best communities out there. And by the way, speaking of conventions, uh, are either one of you going to be at any conventions on the East Coast, uh, especially or West? Like- no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's in October. Indicate is in October. There's Indicate East. There's Magfest. Uh, things like that. Are you guys going to any of those? We're when when the next convention we're going to be going to is actually in Portland, Maine. Um, it's called Portcon. Um, it started as an anime convention a few years ago, but they've expanded into games. It's one of the biggest conventions in in our state, at least. Um, and being very proud of where we're from, we're really happy and excited to be going down there. Yeah. Um, so I believe it's July 23rd to 26th. There you go. Uh, how about yeah. you, and, uh, Chuck, your, uh, your favorite experience so far? Um, well, I guess my favorite experience is that, you know, when, when I worked on Myst, it was, Myst was actually one of the first really, truly indie game, game experiences I ever had. There was only four of us that worked on the game. And since I started working on Zed and, and created Eager Games, a lot of that same kind of dynamic and energy that I found back then and has kind of reemerged, you know, with my own desires. I don't sleep very much. I work a lot. And I find that I'm very, you know, I love what I'm doing in this because I get to do it all. And uh, that to me is, is exciting. I do everything for the modeling, animation, level building, designing, writing, whatever. And, and that's only something you can do if you're an indie company, if you're a small indie company. You get a chance to wear all these different hats. All of us do. And, you know, going to the various conventions and, and meetups and things like that, um, there was one in Boston and one in southern New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire, to IGDA and, and uh, it was IDGA, I forget. But uh, getting a chance to go through and meet all those all these people who are also starting their own companies. And, and some have established small indie game companies that are doing well, like the Flame and the Flood and a variety of other companies. And, you know, the guys who did Bioshock are doing their own new game, Perception. And, and getting to meet all these, these people who are, are very, very excited about the business and excited about what they're doing. Because everybody who works in a small indie company plays a much larger role than you do when you're working at one of the bigger AAA companies. And I've worked at all the big companies, and, and you're basically just one of us. You're a small peg. In a, it's like working in a movie industry. You know, you work in a movie industry, you're like one little name out of 150, 200 people who are working on modeling a particular, you know, part of a car. And, you know, there's not a lot of satisfaction with that. In indie companies, at least the ones that we've had a chance to meet in indie developers, everybody loves what they do, and it really rubs off. It, it's good to be part of that community. And so I'd have to say that uh, I'm enjoying the energy that comes out of it. Awesome. All right. meeting the people, too. Last, uh, last question is, if there was something that we didn't get a chance to ask you or talk about that you want people to know out there, um, feel free to let them know now. Okay. Calvin, anything? Uh, we're totally awesome. Um, <laughs> our game is going to be amazing. Um, you're going to want to play it, so you should back us on Kickstarter. Yes, please back us on Kickstarter because, you know, we really need your help to be able to, to finish this up at the level we'd like to see it. And, and we, we want to be self-published too. Better. And we want to be self-published. We don't want somebody to take us and do it. So yeah. it helps so us speaking, speaking of, uh, kind of a, a possible downer segue for that aspect. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I, I and I say possible because I I'm crossing my fingers for you guys. You you guys are really really close. It's what uh, nine thousand? No, just under about seventeen. 
17? Okay. I can't math. Sorry. I, I can't it's math. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I'm were, the only programmer no... here, so I'm the only one who needs to know math. <laughs> yeah. um, so you guys are about 17, and uh, you're you're at 13 days to go as of this recording, which will probably be you know uh, 11 or, or 10 by the time the, this goes out. Have you given thought to running a second round in the event that you don't quite make it? Because I mean, you guys have you guys have gotten obviously quite a bit of attention, just not enough yet to push you over that edge. Um, if things don't go the way that we all hope that they do, uh, what kind of plans do you guys have in the works for that? Well, I don't think we're going to be giving up anytime soon. No. Okay. There are a lot of things. <laughs> there are a lot of things that can affect the performance all of a Kickstarter. Money and time down the hole. And and, so, and, <laughs> and some of those are just as simple as, you know, people weren't paying attention as much to what was going on um, in the gaming environment. Um, you know, the, there are certainly different times of the year when people are um, doing really, uh, you know, people are really paying attention to what's on Kickstarter and what's going on uh, for new indie games. And there are times of year when, you know, people are strapped for cash and they're not really paying attention and um, they're, they've kind of tuned it out. You know, summer's starting, everybody's getting excited. Um, so uh, I know Chuck and I have talked about this in the past and neither of, up, neither of us really have any intention of, of stopping uh, if if the Kickstarter if this Kickstarter doesn't work out if this one doesn't work out we'll figure something else out but you know we, Zed's gonna happen one way or another we've we've talked to a bunch of devs and and um, read some articles and things like that and it seems that when especially if you're this close um, if you run a second round like a, uh, two three months later um, if you run it again what happens is all these people that have donated the over thirty one thousand dollars so far will immediately donate to you again pretty much. And then you still have the rest of the 30 days or however long you set it for for everyone else to join in. So you end up passing your goal the second time. So um, if for some reason it doesn't happen, even though you guys are actually pretty close for 13 days left, um, you know, definitely try it again if you're if you're up for it. Um, so with that said, uh, check them out. On I, Eager. I, I apologize. I didn't. I, I really didn't mean to. No, 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 no. It's a it's a very. Uh, it's an important and honest question to ask, and it's good to know if, um, for the people who are supporting us, uh, whether or not um, the Kickstarter succeeds, we're going to still be making the game. Because obviously the people who supported us are going to be excited about the game coming out. We don't want to disappoint them. Um, they, they've, you know, they're our lifeblood right now. They're helping us make this possible. We, we couldn't do this without our Kickstarter backers, and um, we're really grateful for all the support we've been getting from the community and from... Uh, the people who are backing us on Kickstarter, it's just been wonderful, and you know we're we're all very positive that we'll hit our goal and we'll get the game. But if we're not, you know, that's you know what, it, water under the bridge. We'll keep moving. Yeah, right, yeah. The right. one one good thing about about this sort of process, though, is that it does open up a lot of doors for marketing future. You know, the game itself down the line. We've already put ourselves on the map. People know that we're out there. They know that, that Zed's out there. We're getting only positive reviews on the game so far. Uh, so I think that if anything at all, if we don't make it, at least the very very fact that we've managed to get a lot of attention from the press and that, people know we're out there. We've made an impression. And now we can start building on end to we release. And so that's a big plus in our mind. Yeah, Rev's other... Rev's other other nickname is uh, Buzzkill, so, you know. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Somebody's... Somebody's got to ask those hard questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, check, out, check him out on eagergames.com, also on Twitter, at eagergames. 
Thank you to uh, Calvin for joining us and answering these questions. And hit their Kickstarter. Link is in the description or in chat if you're if you're on the stream. That too. Or just go to Kickstarter and type in Z, and then I'll come right to it. Go. Also, thank you to Chuck for doing that as well, and Chuck's luxurious beard, uh, finally. And uh, we'll be we'll <laughs> yeah, be we need more good beards on the show. That's, uh, at this right. point That's in time, what the show's missing. at this point in time, I think Chuck and Calvin are, are staying for the show. Um, although you know, there's a chance they may have to. Uh, to bow out at some point depending on how late this gets but I think it is time to start a riot this week on starting the riot we have a game that looks like it could be Half-Life 3 but it's not the Solus Project Uh, it is a single player exploration survival experience uh, with a story that you, you run through and you are basically plopped <laughs> on, you know. I'm sorry, this, that was like the vaguest description. Of, I know. I'm getting into it. This is a game that you play through, and there's plot and. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, come there's, on. There, there's so many. There's so many games where it's just like there's no plot. Uh, throw these units at those units. You know, like. Okay, no, enough. it's 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 a first. It's a story-driven first-person game, where you it, explore, survive, uh, and, on this alien planet, and you, and you start to learn the secrets that this planet holds and there are things that you, you know, haven't learned about and then bad stuff starts happening and it, it just looks, it looks really, really cool. I was talking, I was talking to Chuck earlier about this game and uh, and it's a complete game. Obviously we're putting it in uh, starting the riot, but uh, we've been burned so many times on these kind of like survival type games. Right. um, That I was kind of worried. And, and you know, it's not the first uh, as far as like the, concept really um, right so i was kind of like oh well what if it's like what if they just drop the updates on it or you know as it as it continues i mean because even though it's fully released you know you still want to keep adding content and improvements and things like that uh in these kinds of games so I was like, and well, they and they are luckily uh yeah, so far so it, also, if you didn't know, uh, this game is HTC Vive and Oculus Rift compatible. Uh, you can use a gamepad or track motion controllers if you want. You can play it seated, standing, or room scale. Steam has all of those uh, things put in there, which is awesome. Uh, and they just updated um, the the VR and made sure that everything worked um, on the 11th, so and like last week. Just so you know, the word solace means... Uh, but you know, to be by yourself, um, right. solo, and what's kind of cool about this game is that um, it's a survival game, and, and a lot of survival games now are you know full, focusing on the multiplayer and, and the whole either cooperation and or um, murdering of of each other. But this right. allows or, you or to, the or the fact the that the environment is fist. going yeah. to kill you. But this allows you this yeah. allows you to kind of take in. Um, the implied story, I guess you could say, where you know you're trying to figure out what's going on through notes and that sort of stuff, but also the the environment around you, and I think that the environment in this game is the strongest point in this game, and, and it's probably yeah. what they built the gameplay around. Really, I would say that the environment is the protagonist. Pro- yeah. Well, protagonist, well, or, you mean antagonist? Because what no, happened? I mean I, I mean both. Okay, right, like it, it, it is. The, it's the about the land, and the, the land enemy, is trying to kill you. Exactly. Um, I, I don't, I don't see the, the, the 
the players insert into the game as as really being a, a character uh it, it seems to be from from what i've experienced of it it seems to be relatively you're you're gordon freeman you're the the saying yeah. nothing you're just kind of experiencing there and, and the the drama of it the immersion aspect comes from the fact that this world is hostile without being actively intelligently hostile if that makes sense it's cool it's cool i mean there's like i mean you're seeing on the gameplay now there was like a large lost artifact and there was notes and stuff like that that you can pick up like what's going on through a little bit but what impresses me more is the amount again with with the environment with the amount of um not just detail but places to explore and things um to interact with or interact with. it's not necessarily interact but that affect your game so i mean there's uh even on their website it says that there's um uh, huge cage systems that the guy was in a small one there on the gameplay um there's tombs and things like that you can uncover maybe that was a tomb i don't know but uh i really like the fact that the the weather and climate are really affect what you're doing i mean there's tornadoes and storms and i guess when you're thinking about a an alien planet even if it's technically hospitable for um you know for humans it's still likely that there's probably something that's going to to be insane you know like for instance if we were to somehow colonize mars in the near future there's crazy dust storms for instance that we would never see here you know yeah. Right. Um, so there's, I just like the fact that there's a sense of realism um, and and danger in a, in a way that you see in certain movies that are kind of like right, this one yeah. man versus versus their environment type of thing. Yeah. It's it's the it's the man versus nature. Yeah. Sort of story arc. Yeah. Well, I thought you, you had yeah. it right in the head too when you said that you know the environment is the protagonist. The environment is the primary character of the game itself. Yeah. Because right. that, that that it's it's changing, it's explorable. Uh, I saw this a few years ago when they were still working on it. They had worked on it for like three or four months and produced, I think, the original trailer. And uh, it was a small team of guys who did it. They're doing this out of Sweden or something. Uh, where's this being made from? Uh, it would be. I'm looking. What was the question? Where 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 are they out of? They're like in, in Europe somewhere. Yeah. Well, the development company is called Grip Digital, so if you go to... The, the publisher is out of Sweden, so I assume that they have some ties to that, yeah. Right, but they, they put together this thing fairly quickly. I remember Czech they... Republic. Had to... Yeah, oh, really? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's a, it's a beautiful-looking game as far as uh, the environments are well thought out. Um, you know, I think that the, hopefully they'll do... That the story will, will follow through with the, the look and feel of the environments and actually give you a really compelling game. Yeah. Um, do you have? That, that's one of those. Sorry. Good. No, you go ahead. I was going to ask if you had the 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 basic information. <laughs> oh right. So it's uh it's uh developed by Grip Digital. It is currently twenty dollars nineteen ninety nine on Steam. You can also get the Ball and the Solace Project for twenty three bucks total, which is a twenty percent off bundle. Uh, it's gotten great reviews uh, on Steam. Like I said oculus vive compatible as well and it uh and windows only, only. Unfortunately. and i feel like that's probably a vr thing 
It's also uh, 50% off on GOG right now for their summer sale, so it's sixteen ninety nine there if you want to grab it. Although we do for a little bit cheaper. We do highly encourage if you can afford it, but to pay full price so you can support the devs. But, but I am broke, if, if and I know GOG, many other people are broke. If, if, if GOG pays out better than Steam, it might still be better on GOG. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> That's why That's we, always, we always suggest devs have um, direct download like options on their website so that way that's an option just to pay through that yeah, and get just, the full thing keep all of it yeah you know? but yeah hey whatever yeah we're big on supporting devs yep so uh absolutely pick it up. beautiful game it it just recently came out on the 7th um but it, it looks absolutely awesome definitely something that you have to experience yourself uh the solace project anything else did i miss yeah. anything um i think you missed I think Uh-oh. you missed uh, the turn to the, the to the to the red light district because we're we're going to the peep show. Please give all your attention to early access. This week on Peep Show, we are talking about uh, something that might break our minds. Cthulhu-type breaking of the mind. Uh, (laughs) It is called Stygian. Stygian is on Kickstarter currently. So after you you back uh, Zed on Kickstarter, go check out Stygian. Because that is currently... uh, They're asking for 61,312 on... Uh, Kickstarter and are currently at 48,585. And what it is, is a Lovecraftian computer RPG. That's what they call it. Um, I love the Lovecraftian world. I love, like, Cthulhu, like, Call of Cthulhu type stuff and that kind of horror. Um, And it's got this really cool um, art style to it that you see in some of these Cthulhu games that are in that style. Um, And it's got this nice turn-based battle uh, mechanic to, uh, to, to it where you're uh, in that like Final Fantasy kind of, yeah. Uh, I don't think it's as annoying. Classic, classic RPG style. Yeah, I don't. Right. I don't think it's as Not, annoying. It, as far it's a as little like different. But um, well, they they say that you know you're not supposed to steamroll your way through this game and kill everything because if you do you'll die well there's a lot of dialogue options and there's it's not just turn-based battle because as you're seeing on the right game, and on the gameplay right now it's also a tactical thing where yeah i mean there's like some cover there um they chose to kill that thing and distracts that to the other monster to eat it and cannibalize it but then again if it cannibalizes it then it becomes it gets bloodlust and probably more powerful um Josh, are you playing gameplay on the stream? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not seeing it. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> One job, Josh. One job. One second, I'll play it. Uh, right. Well, while you're doing that, while you're doing that, one of my, I, one of the things is. that I, this, this is kind of why I was, I was hesitant to, to, um, to, to have us feature this, is because one of the hardest problems to overcome in any game that is based in the Lovecraftian universe is how do you deal with the insanity aspect? Um, and this, I, I got into a conversation earlier this week with a, with a friend about that. And it's really, really hard in terms of game mechanics to, to implement the, you know, mind breaking aspect uh, of the Lovecraftian world. Mm-hmm. 
and, and do that mechanically in a game. And I, I was I was kind of hesitant about about Stygian on this regard, but I have to say that they the the way that they're implementing it, where it's not necessarily mechanical, it's more just the experience through it. Uh, changed changed my mind on it you know what i'm saying like instead of going oh well they're just gonna fuck it up again and and we're gonna get an insanity meter um Mm -hmm. they're 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 actually just kind of you're going with it and you're not treating it as though it's something you know oh i i'm going insane it's like oh shit this is the world we live in and they're and i think that to me is is one of those it's kind of a breath of fresh air for Mm -hmm. for and yeah, and and going on top of that, they also have one of the things that really intrigued me about that type of mechanic is that the different characters will have different um, beliefs that they hold themselves to, and those uh, will affect how they go crazy and the different options that they have and the, the different avenues that that the characters will take because they come from different backgrounds. They have they have a different way of staying sane and a different way of you know going crazy because everybody's different and. Rev going crazy in a Lovecraftian world would be completely different from me going crazy in a Lovecraftian world. And I, I feel like they're they're working in like that exactly what Rev said, where the 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 idea of love Lovecraft has been turned into it's like, oh, it's a big monster. It's less the big monster and more it's the monster that Tuesday. you can never it's it, it's the monster that you can never stop and it's never it's, going away. It's and the monster like, inside no. you. That's that's yeah. yeah. Uh, what? No, <laughs> Josh, that was bad. That was bad. So they're they're currently looking for sixty one thousand three hundred and twelve U S dollars. Uh, they have thirteen days to go, and they already have forty eight thousand five hundred eighty five dollars with uh, sixteen hundred people backing the game. Uh, you can pledge at uh, fifteen euro or about seventeen dollars for uh, the game. A poster, a digital poster, and a high-resolution wallpaper. Uh, going up to about 28, um, you get the soundtrack, and what's their? It, it what's just their it adds the soundtrack. One? Their big one. They twenty all the way down. Two point seven thousand U.S. dollars. They have some really uh, cool rewards. I gotta admit. Yeah. The, the, you get uh, these like little figurines that you could play with, like maybe your Call of Cthulhu campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. You get a, there's a freaking cultist robe which you could wear out of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Home, I am clean. <laughs> yes. uh, it is being developed for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Uh, so thank you for the the agnosticism yeah. Cult, there. Cultic Games. Cultic Games. Where are they based out of? Uh, I, I knew this. I I heard. I can't. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, press kit. Here we go. I uh, Turkey, they're in Istanbul. Out of Turkey, okay, I didn't know, excellent. I didn't even know Turkey was part of the Euro, Euro thing. I guess. Right. Well, because it's in euros, so I, I, I'm assuming that. They, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'm actually really. Your lack of geography knowledge is always yeah. entertaining. So, so, yeah, no, I know where Turkey. Ruble. I know where Turkey <laughs> is, but they're asking euros. I don't know. Whatever. Screw you. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, also, can I can I just say that the um, uh, even even if you even if this game doesn't sound all that interesting to you, click on the Kickstarter anyway because it's one of the best Kickstarter videos ever. 
It's, it, it breaks nice. so many rules. It breaks so many of the Kickstarter rules to getting your game funded. But that's okay because of what they did. <laughs> they also have some stretch goals uh, that we didn't mention yet either. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're, they're going to add a new uh, archetype, I guess, if you, if they break 60,000 euros. Um, new – oh, no, yeah, yeah. They, they have it sort of weird. The Dreamlands, it says. The new mechanics and narrative content you'll achieve while resting – I'm not sure what that means. Um, there's new areas that they're going to add at 90,000 and spell crafting. So it's a new mechanic, I guess, um, at 102,000. So get them there. Hurry up yeah. after, after Chuck. Definitely. After Chuck. Uh, Stygian. Any, any last words about Stygian? No, I think they're doing it right. I think they're actually doing it right. They're doing it to form, and uh, they deserve right. every cent they get. Yeah. Hopefully. You know what Fingers else deserves crossed. every cent? Uh, what's that, Josh? Our free fun game, because it's free and it deserves... It. I'm just kidding. That sounds like an insult, but it's not what I meant. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's a fun game. We'll talk about free fun. it next. Free fun. And this week on Free Fun, we have Scouts Forever. Sorry, no gameplay, Josh is... Uh, Josh. Um, no, it's a it's a really fun game. It's playable in browser, or you can download it. Built in Unity by a very small team: uh, Amelia Lopez, Justin Gilbert, and Remy Fusad uh, put this together. It's kind of one of those papercraft kind of design. It's very uh, almost South Park esque, or or no, 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 Battle Block Theater in terms mm, of yeah. the characterization. Uh, but you're basically taking a bunch of weasel scouts uh, out into the woods on an adventure. And uh, I'll have to say, the first time I played through it, uh, I killed most of them just trying to get them to walk across the street. You did on uh, purpose. No, it was not on purpose. I just couldn't figure out what the fuck I was doing. And so they kept getting hit by cars trying to get to the bus. And then as we were chopping wood, I may or may not have mistimed and chopped several of them with axes. And then the remaining four went to bed. And that's as far as I got really before the, uh, the before we started the show. I will say, go ahead. In other news, Rev's becoming a scoutmaster, so send your kids right away. <laughs> right? Local Troop uh, 483. Uh, no, it, it is actually kind of entertaining game, um, and I have to say the soundtrack for it is adorable. The most adorable soundtrack that I have run into on one of our free fun segments uh, to date. And uh, I'm, I'm actually downloading the soundtrack just to listen to it tonight while I'm working. But uh, it was built in, in Unity, and it was published on June 7th of this year, so it's relatively recent. And uh, highly, highly recommend you go enjoy. It's adorable. You can't get much more than can that. You, can you pronounce the uh, uploader, the Maitre Pantoufle? I do not speak Russian. I think it's French, but no, <laughs> I, I cannot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, it's made by three people. Amelia yeah. Lop- Lopez. <laughs> Justin Gilbert and Remy Fusad. French people. Said, and the, the cool thing, too, is that you don't even have to download it. What? You just play yeah. it in browser. Any French people listening, tell me, why? Why does French just throw random letters into their words? I, I know English <laughs> is weird. I know. But there's just some... <laughs> there's just, like, the majority of French words just are like... Like, full of just silent letters for no reason. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know what else is silent but deadly? The end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you that going 
with that. Like that was not going to end well. We have devolved. We have now devolved after an absolutely amazing interview, three awesome games, and, and all of the show. We're now devolving to fart jokes. <laughs> 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 Welcome to Indie Game Right. I just realized your 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 Twitters are backwards, but whatever. Um, oh, whatever. <laughs> text. Hey, it was hanging his head in shame. Anyway, I was looking at my phone. Oh my all these God. Twitter, all these Twitter updates from Rev. <laughs> it's oh, weird. They're uh, coming from at Takedo for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the end of the show. Let's get this over with because we're losing yeah. it now. Uh, it's the end of the show. Uh, if you want to help us and you want to um, help us get to like our must, I can't talk at all. I'm tired. It's it, it's late now. I'm hot and tired. <laughs> goals, yeah. We got we got Patreon. Patreon.com slash Indie Game Riot. Dollar more. Help us get to our goals. Make the show better. The website better. Bring more. Help people. Not bring more, but help people like Chuck. Because we one of our goals, more like our big goals, is called the uh, Enable the Evolution Fund. Remember that, guys? Yeah. Yeah. So that could help. That could go towards helping uh, uh, someone like like Chuck and, and uh, Calvin finish their game. You never know. Yeah, definitely. Put them past the, the the edge when it comes to the end of the Kickstarter. The other things that you can do to help is contact us with things like uh, news or games that we should talk about and that sort of stuff. You can do that by going on hitbox.tv/slash and every Friday at 9:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and chat with us directly in the chat next to the stream. Uh, you can also go on Twitter at IGR Podcast or Facebook.com slash IGR Podcast. And of course, email contact at IndieGameRide.com. All this and more is on IndieGameRide.com. <sighs> Any last words, Jim? Cthulhu 10. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> this was a fun episode. Uh, even though they're not here, uh, Calvin, Chuck, thank you for coming on the show. Yes, thank uh, you for was, taking the time. It was a great time. Uh, we really like the input. Go check out Zed, sorry, I'm, I'm working on three hours of sleep, too. <laughs> it's that time of the show. <laughs> All right, well, before before we uh, embarrass ourselves any further on uh, the end of the show, let's uh, say our yeah. goodbyes. See you next time, guys. Have a good one, folks. Tools or something. <laughs>